You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Man, if you would take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 13 this morning. Thank you for uh, leading in that worship there, uh, ensemble. Uh, hopefully that can be said of you today that you are a child of God and the blessings and perks that come along with that, if I could put it that way, uh, of not being a slave to fear anymore. You know, we look at the world that we live in nowadays and there are, if we're honest, a lot of things to be fearful of. And yet because of what Christ has done for us, because of what, what Christ promises for us in the future, uh, we don't have to be slaves to fear anymore. Well, it's a privilege to be able to preach to you uh, this morning. Um, pastor is away. I do know where he's at. He is in Michigan this week. Um, uh, he is uh, up in Michigan. He told me it wasn't for the Ohio State game. I'm not sure if I believe him or not. Uh, now he is uh, helped with a marriage retreat yesterday, and then he is preaching this morning um, with one of their wellness weekends. And so to be in prayer for them um, as he and Miss Heidi both uh, teach and be a blessing to uh, that church there, and of course, as they travel uh, back home. So we're in John chapter number 13 um, this morning. We're going to be somewhat continuing, somewhat um, beginning a new series in the book of John here. In the book of John, um, we went over closer and begin to look at the aspects uh, of Christ um, through the eyes of John the disciple, and we're kind of going to dig in a little bit deeper here uh, this morning as we begin chapter number 13. So John chapter 13, if you would, begin with me in verse number 1. You follow along as I read. John chapter 13 and verse number 1 says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus once again here says, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel wherewith he was girded. This morning, I want to talk about this subject, Jesus, and how John sees him in this chapter here as servant. Jesus as servant. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for, Lord, your word this morning. God, this book that we can look in to see Jesus and who he was and to see ourselves for who we are. And Lord, as we look through the eyes of John this morning at Jesus and all that he means, God, we see, Lord, your son as a servant the King of kings and Lord of lords, humbling himself to serve. And Lord, in the world that we live in today, it's so focused upon self and success and what we can get out of life. And I pray, Lord, this morning that we would, Lord, look at not just Christ here, but as we look at Christ, that we reflect upon ourselves 
that your Holy Spirit would work in each of our hearts where it needs. Lord, where your Holy Spirit would work in my heart as I need it, as it has worked preparing even this message, Lord. God, I pray that you give me wisdom as I speak. Be with each that hear this word, that you would, Lord, be honored and glorified through all that's said and done. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Jesus as a servant. Now, I rarely introduce myself as a pastor or as an assistant pastor. And I usually when I, you know, I meet somebody new or I talk to them, I, you know, I'll tell them my name. But I usually don't say a whole lot uh, in regards to my position. Now, it's not because I'm ashamed of it or, or embarrassed at all. Um, it's not that I don't want people to know the, the role I play, so to speak. Um, but I don't want my, so to speak, title to become a, a barrier. You know, so, and I've had a number of different reactions, you know, when I introduce myself, and I mention the fact, or when the person finally finds out that I'm an assistant pastor, or a youth pastor, or uh, as many of you like to talk, a reverend, or, or whatever the phrase may be that they use, I've had a variety of different kind of responses to that. You know, some people, when they find out that I'm a, a, a pastor, they immediately begin to apologize for perhaps things that they said, or, you know, they all of a sudden, you know, they're much more careful in what they say with me, uh, and so they all of a sudden are kind of quiet down a little bit. Um, I've had other times, you know, kind of people are, are encouraged or curious to begin to ask questions about, you know, what does that look like and, and what all do you do, kind of different questions like that. But there are also times that I'm surprised by underwhelming expectations. Um, I remember this was uh, a few months ago, um, I was under our bus. I spend a lot of time under the bus sometimes as we have issues with our bus. And um, we were having some different uh, muffler issues and, and some different things that need filled in. And so I, I remember I was outside underneath, laying under the bus, and trying to figure out you know, what needed fixed and what I needed to fix it. And um, often we have a highway patrolman that sits right out here on the corner. Um, we don't employ him at all. But, um, and so he was sitting there, and I was working under the bus, and he uh, came over uh, for a moment and was asking me if I was like the church mechanic, kind of. And I was like, by default, you know, they're low on options. So no, I was telling him you know, that I was the youth pastor. And for a moment, he kind of seemed taken aback, like, you know, shouldn't you be doing something, so to speak, more holy, as they would say, like, you know, spending your time reading the Bible or, or praying or, or whatever it might be. And he's like, oh, you know, don't you guys have, like, a mechanic that does that? And, and I thought just the idea that, like, how would you stoop yourself to this level and work under a vehicle when you're the pastor or youth pastor? And I thought it was just kind of interesting to me, the underwhelming expectations. And I'm not saying that to, to lift myself up. Just this last week, um, Brother Schlegel, uh, I think with the help of Kinsey, was outside in the freezing cold, glad it wasn't me, um, finishing painting up the parking lot. You know, the lines and the different things that need to paint it out there. Uh, you know, a couple of weeks before that, Pastor was with me up on a ladder dealing with that same drill that beat me up. Um, and sometimes, uh, we have a tendency to think of pastors or ministers as these people that sit in their office and then they pray and they read their Bibles and they do those things, um, but there's certain work that they just shouldn't do, like you know, certain things that are below them. And we've tried to, to practice this well, and I think many of you have done the same thing and contributed greatly, that there's no job that is beneath us, so to speak. And I think that this task is something here that really quite even the things that we do are even things that Jesus would have done. After all, he did a couple of things. He's done many things, far more demeaning than things that I have done. And we see it happen here in this passage. So in John chapter 13, we're going to look at one of these times where Jesus served and two very specific, I think, types of service that should be seen in every single Christian's life. 
in every single Christian's life. Now, the first part of this book, we went through uh, a series called Closer, the first 12 chapters, and we see Jesus teaching, and we see miracles being performed in his public ministry and around different Jewish festivals. And the latter part of this book, beginning here in chapter 13, largely deal with Jesus' private ministry to his disciples. And then, of course, we see his crucifixion and resurrection. So we've entitled this, Even Closer. We begin to see the disciples begin to draw even closer to Jesus and his ministry specifically to them. And I think it's important for us to pay attention to where we are in the book in order to see how Jesus teaches and interacts with his disciples here. And a lot of what we're going to consider, I think, in these next several chapters take place during the final days and weeks of the life of Christ. And we see him here in this passage. So as Jesus moves towards the cross here, toward his hour, as John refers to it in this passage, Jesus sits down with his disciples for a a, a special meal. Possibly we see here a, a Passover meal. And during this meal, Jesus does the unthinkable. He washes his disciples' feet. He, the master, as I've said, king of kings, lord of lords, Jesus himself serves his followers. And I think one of the things we find in this passage here is that Jesus' heart, his head, and his hands were all involved when it came to being a servant. And so if you have your bulletin, I encourage you to follow along if you're there taking notes. First thing we see here is first Christ shows us humble service. Humble service. Verse 1 says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Verse six, uh, verse 5 says, After that he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. We see here Jesus give us the example of humble service. Now, I was looking more into the word of humility. Interesting thing, the Western meaning comes from really the usage of numerous different languages and how they use it. And they use the word to describe humility meaning low, as into low to the ground is the idea here. And used negatively, these terms mean to be put low. We've heard the term to be humiliated, right? Maybe you've had something like that happen in your life where you've been humiliated. Maybe it's funny, maybe it's not so funny. But that negative term means to be humiliated. And often we see that used in the term of domination in the ancient times where armies would come in and dominate and humiliate others. And there's that negative sense of the word perhaps, but positively it means to lower yourself or to be humble. And these two terms are radically different. One is the, the awful experience of being conquered or, or being shamed. And this was, like I said, used a lot during ancient times as they were conquered these different lands. The other is the noble choice to redirect your power in service to others. The term humility is defined as the noble choice to forego your status, deploy your resources, or use your influence for the good of others before yourself. More simply, you could say the humble person is marked by a willingness to hold power in service to others. Now in verse 1 it says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, 
having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And so here we see, number one, a humble love. A humble love. You know, we see this physical act, and we'll talk about it some more, but we see here that this act was given by love. This theme of love is something we'll find in our next several chapters here. But John clearly notes that Jesus loved his disciples. And it was the love that brought him to not just saying it, but to action. John loved his disciples. His ministry among them was fueled by love. His love for them didn't stop until the end of his earthly life. And even after that, he continued to love and to serve them. And so when we think through the guys that Jesus had around him, it's an amazing thing to see the mixture of disciples. Just to give you an idea, James and John, you know, these, these sons of thunder that had, you know, they had some ambition and they were, they were, they were all in. They were, they were going for it all. Peter, the disciple whose mouth would get him in trouble time and time again. Andrew, the, the soft-spoken brother of Peter who, who kept making small demonstrations of faith but wasn't very vocal at all. Then you have Philip. Uh, he had a flair for the obvious. Nathaniel, Jesus called him one in whom there was no guile or deceit. Then you have Matthew, the tax collector, who is seen as, as a traitor to the Jewish people, a variety of people that Jesus brought along with him. You have Thomas, the one who doubted even after the resurrection. James the less. Here's what's amazing about him. We don't even know enough about him to really speak about his qualities. I mean, how would you like to be known as the less? Simon the Zealot, this, this political activist who probably began following Jesus because he wanted this idea of a, a political revolution. You have Judas, not Iscariot. How would you like to be referred to as not that guy or the other one? It wasn't Judas, this and this and this. It was Judas, no, 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 not that Judas. Like That was all that he was known for. Then, of course, we have Judas Iscariot, the one who eventually betrayed Jesus. Now, some of these men were notable. We read a lot about them in the Gospels, and we have a lot of, to read about them through history. Some of them were notable. Others were practically invisible. Some were ambitious, and others were very minimalist. And John notes that regardless of who it was, Jesus loved them. Jesus loved them. Imagine being some of these guys, knowing that you were called out by Jesus, being no one special in particular, living in the realization that his love for you was in spite of all your strengths and weaknesses, your flaws, your warts, your shortcomings, in spite of all of those faults, Jesus loved you. Jesus loved you with all of his heart and mind and being. He loved him. But not only these 12, it says there he also loved his own which were in the world. Now, it seems here like in this passage, his own refers to those who are, who are called out to, to live a, a life of faith here and believe in him. And of course, we know by the time Jesus ascended, based on Acts chapter 1, there were at least 120 that were followers of him. And we can think about in the world that we live in today, how many people would call themselves followers of Christ. He's saying here that he loves every single one of them. Christ served these men and women out of love. And he serves you and me out of love. He served you and me out of love when he went to the cross of Calvary to die for your sins and for mine. The whole motivator for him was love. 
Everything that he did was out of love. He took our shame and humiliation because he loved us. And so Jesus shows us that service comes from a heart of love. Can I start by asking this question? What is your motivator in your walk with Christ? When you do something for the Lord, what is your motivation? Is it a heart of love? Listen, there's a lot of different motivations we can have, and we'll talk about that. But Christ served, Christ sacrificed, and it was because of love. He knew everything that was to come, and he did it because of love. And so we see humble love here, but we also see something else. Jesus shows us that a service comes from a heart of love, yes, but we see that it's established in truth. Look back again at this passage. We looked at verse 1 where it says, He knew his hour was come, that he was going to depart out of this world unto the Father. Jesus seemed to have a knowledge of the time. It wasn't just any Passover. It was the Passover. Jesus knew where he was in the timeline, the one that would become the culmination of his ministry. Then look down at verse number three. It says, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God. Jesus' acts of service that we'll see here in a few minutes were established in certain truths and certain knowledge. Uh, Jesus here had authority and responsibility. It says here, the Father had given him all things into his hands. His assignment here on earth, his ministry among his disciples, his responsibility to steward the authority that was given, all of those things were given to him by God. And Jesus knew that. But he also had knowledge of his origin and destination. Even though Jesus took on human flesh, John helps us to understand that Jesus knew he wasn't just any human. He knew that he, would, he had come from God and that he would return to God. And so he laid aside the glory of heaven here, but he knew that he would pick it back up again. Jesus knew all of these things, knew exactly who he was when he served. And so we see that Jesus' heart and head were, were prepared for service. And in his example, we get to see that the hands of service here welcome humiliation. And so we see this service in verse number four. It says, He riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel wherewith he was girded. Timothy, I'll have you come up for me here, bud. I think the, we've all read this perhaps before. We've heard it taught before. But I think the significance of this action is often lost on us as Westerners. You can sit there, buddy. Go ahead and take your shoes off. It's often, I think, lost on us as Westerners. See, for starters, people in Jesus' day didn't walk around with shoes like we do. They were often barefooted. Even today, a lot of people in Eastern cultures wear sandals, which means their feet would still get dirty. One commentator noted this, proper etiquette taught that guests begrimed from journeying through the dusty streets should, on arrival, have their feet washed by a slave. Now, this was a particularly humble task included in a list of works which a Jewish slave would not be required to perform. In other words, this task that's about to take place, Jews weren't even allowed to perform this task. It was, so to speak, beneath them. And so they weren't allowed to perform this at all. And yet, so Jesus here and his disciples sit down to eat, 
and they have this meal, but there's no Gentile slaves around to do this task. And so the task remains undone. Now, here's what's so important to notice. And I've heard, and you've probably heard messages taught on this before, the importance of Jesus' service here. Everything from history indicates that foot washing was a degrading and a lowly task. You can put your feet in there. It was a degrading and a lowly task. It was meant for Gentile slaves. You understand that when foot washing took place, it was normally done by perhaps wives for their husbands, or perhaps children for their fathers, or perhaps slaves for their bosses. And something that was important to note is these slaves had nothing to offer to their master except washing their feet. Now, in this example, I have Timothy up here, and I can wash his feet, but listen, he has nothing to offer me. For a moment, Timothy, I pay for his housing, right? He hasn't paid a single mortgage payment yet. (laughs) Timothy, although he can grill almost as good as me, I have to buy the food. I have to take care of him. He has nothing to offer me. If anything, right, I should be washing the feet, or or he should be washing my feet. Put your foot up here. And yet, here I am washing his. And it's an extreme act of devotion. Jesus, when he gets here, and he washes these disciples' feet. You can go down, bud. When he washes these disciples' feet, it's not just, oh, look, there's Jesus serving. You understand, I as a father should have him washing my feet right now. I feel bad for him if he had to wash my feet. I as a father should have him washing my feet. Or I as a husband should have my wife washing my feet. The normal thing to do is have someone that is, so to speak, below you or perhaps a pupil for their teacher serving you. It was always an act of extreme devotion, an act of devotion to the one whose feet you were washing. But since this act had social implications, you'll never find people with higher status washing the feet of those beneath them. And so when Jesus takes off his outer clothing and he wraps his towel around himself, he is adopting the posture of a slave. He's taking down on his knees, washing the feet of these disciples, and he's putting himself in the position of a slave. Only pointing to, we'll talk about later, him being sold for a slave's wage, or a slave's price. But he puts himself as a posture, as a slave. Jesus goes against all of the cultural norms and does the unthinkable. He takes the posture of a slave in this act of service, And he willingly lays aside his honor and his dignity. And this act of service that he portrays is only a picture of what he is going to do in hours when he dies upon a cross for your sins and for mine. As amazing as this portrait is right here, it's only pointing to what will be even greater, the sacrifice that he gives later. Taking the cross that you and I deserves. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 through 8, Paul reflects on this. He says this, Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him in the form of a servant 
and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And coming to earth, Jesus willingly served humanity through humiliation. He could have served us in so many other ways, right? If anything, Jesus could have brought a slave with him and said, Slave, you go ahead and wash the disciples' feet. And yet, he didn't do that. He could have served them in so many other ways. He could have brought an army to serve them, and yet he chose to serve them himself. He chose to humiliate himself to be a servant. And then as a human, he willingly humiliated himself in service to others. Which brings us to our second point this morning, and that is this. The second type of service is this, happy service. Happy service. Jesus demonstrated that as a teacher, he would have been elevated socially. He would have been one of those that were, had a higher status, and yet he was willing to, to wash their feet. As Lord, he demonstrates that he is more than that. He is master. Look at verse number 12 with me. It says, so after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, know ye what I have done to you. Ye call me master and Lord, and ye say, well, for so, I, for so I am. If I then your Lord and master have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Jesus here, Lord of Lords, serves as an example to you and I. Saying, I know where I came from. I being the master, it is just as important for me to serve to help you realize that your position is to serve as well. And he gives us an example. As Lord, he demonstrates that he's more than that. He's master, and yet he was still willing to be humiliated before them. In Greek here, the word Lord or Kyrios refers to someone who has supreme authority. That's what Jesus had. And he was willing to serve. No level of service was beneath him. No level of service was beneath him, the Lord of Lords. Now, to some degree, it's difficult to grasp, I think, the gravity of this. One commentator equated Jesus' service to that of, say, she's just recently passed, but that of Queen Elizabeth coming and sweeping the floors at your house. Someone of her stature would never do that, right? At least normally. You would never be waiting for the queen to come and to vacuum your room, to clean your rugs, to wash your dishes. And yet that is the equivalent here, and it should never happen. <clears throat> and yet Jesus' stature is infinitely greater. Is infinitely greater. And he did something even more degrading than sweeping. One of the ways I believe that human pride manifests itself in a society is in refusing to take the lower role. Refusing to do the, the lesser thing because that makes us look lower than someone else. That humiliates us. 
But now that Jesus here, the Lord and their teacher, had washed his disciples' feet, an unthinkable act, <coughs> excuse me, there is every reason why they also should wash one another's feet. And there's no conceivable reason for refusing to do so. If it's not below Jesus here, it's not below me. There's no reason for us not to serve. And so in response to Jesus' example here, I want us each to consider a few points to ponder. In some ways, the application isn't difficult to reach, right? We see Jesus here serve and wash feet. And it's a reminder to us to, to serve as well. But Jesus did more here than just serve. Jesus did more than just wash these disciples' feet. He used his whole being, his heart, his head, and his hands. He used all of him to serve here. And so a few, few questions to ponder as I ponder myself as well is this. What is your heart attitude towards others or towards service? Do you truly love those around you? You know, I fear that all too often it's easy for us to say, I love you to everyone as a whole, but much more difficult to love individuals, isn't it? I can say, I love you guys this morning, and as a whole group, I do love you guys and care about you guys. But it gets much more particular when you say, I love you, as an individual and as a person, because then you begin to think about all the things sometimes that aren't so lovely. Because all of us have faults and failures, don't we? All of us have weird things that get on other people's nerves. What is your heart towards others or towards service? Some of us in this room, if I were to ask you, what, are, what is something that is, you would never want to do, if I asked you to do that, or if someone asked you to do that, would you be willing to serve? What is your heart toward others and toward service? When you serve, is your service out of duty, obligation, or a guilt trip? Or is your service fueled by love? Listen, I, I do this so maybe people will notice me and, and say, oh, you know, he has such a servant spirit or she has such a servant spirit. I do it so that people notice her. Well, people expect it of me, so I'm going to go ahead and do it. That way I at least meet their expectations. What is your service fueled by? What is it that gets you up and serving when it's time to serve? That's something we can't see on the outside, right? But in our heart, we know what it is that motivates us. Is it fueled by love? Here's someone that, here's a question that I, I fought with. Is there someone that you wouldn't want to serve? And now that, that, that kind of digs it in a little bit, right? Because when I say that, when I ask that question, I would almost guarantee that a picture pops up of someone that we know. Is there someone that you're like, you know what, I could serve just about anyone. I could serve Judas Iscariot, but this person is just not happening. Is there someone in your life that you're not willing to serve? Jesus here served those that he even knew were going to betray him. Jesus wasn't surprised by Judas Iscariot's betrayal, and yet he still washed his feet. Is there any measure of serving that is beneath you? You know, you know I'd love to help in this area, and I could do that and help with that, and I'd love to serve here, but... That, I just think that I'm above that. You know, as we say in the business world, that's, that's below my pay grade. Um, is there something in service that you're not willing to do? 
and I ask myself the exact same question. Hey, I'm willing to do this, and I'm willing to help here and take care of these things, but that, I'm not sure. That God would give us a heart for others. That God would give us a heart for others. Just as Jesus understood his origin and his destination, remember what is true from God about you. If you're a follower of Christ, your sinful origin has been redeemed. Because of what Jesus Christ has done upon the cross, your sinful origin, where you began, has been redeemed. You're no longer a slave to fear. You're no longer a slave to sin. We have freedom because of what Christ has done for us upon the cross. Your origin has been redeemed, and yet we even have a future to look forward to in heaven one day. If you're a follower of Christ, it's been redeemed and it's secure. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, can I remind you that your sinfulness marks you? Can I remind you that today is the day of salvation? The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That whosoever, your name belongs there. That whosoever, your name belongs there regardless of what you've done or what you will do. The Bible says that Christ is desiring that none should perish, but that all should repent. All of us can have our past redeemed and a heavenly future to look forward to by accepting what Jesus Christ did upon the cross for us, and that alone. Remember our origin, what Christ has redeemed you from, what you have to look forward to, your gift of eternal life. Remember where you stand with him, though. You are fully loved and eternally secure. Nothing you can do or I can do could ever make Christ love you more. Sometimes if we're not careful, we think, well, I did this, so God must love me more. He can't love you more. Well, you know, I served in this situation, so surely God's going to give me Now, there may be crowns of heaven to cast at Jesus' feet, but listen, he loves you just as much today as he will ever love you regardless of what you do. And I say that not to say, hey, he loves you, so just put it on cruise control. But if he loves you that much... That love should inspire and motivate us, should inspire and motivate me to love him in return. Jesus loved us, gives us a promise. And so your service doesn't need to be known. Matthew 6, 4 even says, The Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. When it comes to service, God knows and God sees your service. And find confidence in that. Don't find the confidence in man's esteem of, hey, look at so-and-so doing that. that. That's fantastic. Now, sometimes those recognitions will come along, but never make that your goal to serve so that others will see because God sees and he rewards thee openly. And any rewards he can offer are far better than anything us as humans have to offer. And finally, we can't let position, pride, or preference get in the way of our service to God and others. Some people think, oh, you know, those pastors, those ministers, there's certain things that they do. They have holy work to do, and then we need those, those ordinary, those church members to do the rest of the grunt work. It's not the case at all. God has called us together as a body to serve this church and to serve him, but also to serve one another. I to serve you, you to serve the person beside you, all of us to serve together. Nothing is below us. Whether it's volunteering for junior church perhaps monthly or, or helping take care of little ones in the nursery, 
joining the deacon team or being a greeter or, or helping with the Christmas musical. I know we have a sign-up going on with that right now. Even if you can't carry a tune in a bucket, you're in the same place as I am. Or being available for, for youth events or, or help cleaning during the week, uh, bringing meals to people that need it. I could go on and on just in this church of ways to serve, but also in your community. There are so many ways that service can happen in our community and in our church. And getting dirty might even mean spending time with your neighbor that keeps driving you crazy because they want to argue about whose line is what on the property. Or doing yard work for someone who simply can't. There are so many ways that you and I can serve. And it's important to serve out of love and firmly found it in the confidence that we have through Jesus Christ. Someone once said this, true heroism is remarkably sober, very undramatic. It's not the urge to surpass all others at whatever cost, but the urge to serve others at whatever the cost. I heard a story about a small desert town in Oklahoma. Um, there was a young single mother struggling to make ends meet. It was November and uh, she worked as many hours as she could at a convenience store and kind of barely making enough to get by. And after work, she would take care of her small child and uh, help an elderly relative that lived close uh, to them in the same town, occasionally running errands, buying groceries, those things. And it was nearing Thanksgiving, and the young mother felt just this overwhelming need to help others. And so she began calling around local charities and different organizations to see what she could do. And she finally found a cause that she could kind of put her time into. A nearby nursing home needed someone to style residents' hair that day. And so she went to her boss where she worked, and after a lot of argument back and forth, she was able to get time off to, to do this. Um, and so she set off on Thanksgiving morning to the nursing home. And in the hallway outside the room where she styled their hair, residents lined up. Some were in wheelchairs. Some were in beds. Some weren't even awake. Most of them talked very little, if at all, as she styled their hair to look nice for that special day. Some for family visits. Many for no one at all. And with just a few hours of her time, she brightened many lives by giving of her time and her talents. And asked later why she was willing to go through so much to serve, she replied, I just needed to give. I made them happy that day. I made a difference. And in a society today surrounded by self and success, we are so quick to find fault with others, aren't we? And I'm speaking to myself here, to constantly complain about how no one's doing anything, and yet very slow to get up and perform even one act of service to somebody else. And we're so concerned with how others see us, or we fear that we're going to lose respect, or being seen as weak or less if we stoop to helping carry the burden of another person, though we're happy to complain about everyone else's lack of action. And in today's society, I think how everything is so hurried, one of the greatest gifts that you or I can give to someone is the gift of your time by serving. I love when we have the chance to to go out and visit those in um, the community, especially older folks. And here's what I'm always amazed by. They could care less about what kind of money or gifts you have to give them or, 
or even quite honestly, sometimes by serving. Maybe it's cleaning the house or, or, or organizing some things. But they love to have someone sit down and just talk with them. Because they don't get it very often. That idea of fellowship, just being willing to sacrifice a little bit of your time to serve others. Am I going to get anything physically speaking out of sitting down and talking to someone? No. But I feel blessed afterwards in being able to help someone else. And if we're not careful, very often we classify service by, I'm not willing to do that, or that's below me, or someone else can do that. And we focus on, why isn't so-and-so serving, or why isn't this getting done? And yet we spend so much time focusing on those things that we never take time ourselves to serve. And I'm preaching to myself here this morning. I could spend hours saying, well, I don't see so-and-so doing something, or why is this not being done, when in fact I need to focus on where I am serving. There's two kinds of people who serve. There are those who serve from the heart out of the need to give, like this single mother here. And there are those that are pretenders. They perform a service, they help someone out, but then they quickly look around for recognition or praise. Pretenders are willing to serve, but only if they have an audience waiting to applaud them and it's never their own family. True service is serving others and expecting no recognition or nothing in return. We all want to live in a community that has that love thy neighbor rule. Like, I want to live in a community where the people that live beside me are looking out for me, and and we're all kind of together. We want that community, but few want to take our time or make the effort to be that loving neighbor. We all want someone to visit us if we're a shut-in or if we're ill, but do we make time to do the same for others we know when they are? We want that for us, but we do, do we do it for others? Are we helping by serving their needs, or do we find ourselves criticizing them for why they're in that situation? Well, you know, if they would have made smarter decisions, they wouldn't be in that situation anymore. Well, if they would have just done this, it'd be okay. Instead of finding a way to help. We want to share in a loving family environment, but do we show that love to our family by serving them? A woman who cheerfully serves her husband or a husband unafraid to be seen washing dishes or or a busy person who takes time to to sit with those that are sick, the elderly or, or lonely, all show love and selflessness that is rare in today's world. John Gardner, a man, once said this, when people are serving, life is no longer meaningless. Does your life ever feel meaningless? You ever kind of wake up and you're going through your day and you just catch yourself thinking, what's the point? Like, why do I go to this job? Why do I do this? What what is the point of all this? When we find ourselves serving, life is no longer meaningless. Quote said this, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. How often I think we serve expecting nothing in return is a clear reflection of how much we love. And so Christ, as he comes to this Passover meal, puts his heart, his head, and his hands to being a servant, showing that nothing is below him, even as King of kings and Lord of lords. And he does it for you and I so that we have no excuse not to serve as well. 
so that you and I can look into a world that has so many needs and say, sometimes it means getting messy, but I'm willing to serve because Christ was a servant. I'm willing to place myself down at what seems like the slave's position because Jesus Christ did it. Jesus was a servant, and he showed us humble service. Many of the times when we serve, it'll be things that we think we shouldn't have to do, and that brings God glory. But I encourage you, it's also about happy service as well. Don't just serve out of of a, a guilt trip or out of duty or obligation. Serve out of love. He says here, happy are those who do this. Happy are those, if you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. Listen, if Jesus is promising happiness, we know it's not an artificial happiness. If Jesus is promising blessings by serving, it's a guarantee you can take it to the bank. And so when Jesus gives the example of being a servant, he asks us this morning the same question this. Do you have humble service in your life? Are you serving others who have nothing to offer you? No, no thank you, perhaps, no recognition, no praise. Are you willing to serve them? Do you do it out of love or out of obligation? Is your service glorifying to God, or does he see you to be a pretender? I mentioned that this morning because, as I mentioned, there are areas of service in this church that could use some help, could use some volunteers. I encourage you, if you don't have a spot to serve, talk to myself, Pastor Schlegel, Pastor himself. I guarantee you there is somewhere to serve. But also in this community, it's not just about these four walls here. It's about being a light to the folks that are out there. How many opportunities would you have to present the gospel or to invite someone to church or to be an influence in someone's life if you're simply willing to serve, to have humble service, to have happy service? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord,